Unloose the goose. We'll take no use. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Hello and welcome to Unloose the Goose number 19. Man, we're getting up there in numbers. We're like a teenager all hyped up on freedom and hormones. So today we are going to be talking about gatherings, events, conferences, workshops, and we're going to share why we believe this is important for freedom lovers. Um, we're going to talk about why it's important and how to navigate it in the COVID world. And we're just going to relate how how meeting in person is really influenced and developed culture and, and society over time. And so we're, we also want to share about Jack's 2020 survival podcast workshop that he hosted at his nine mile farm recently. Nicole and myself were in attendance. Some of the other slackers didn't make it for one reason or another. And uh, it was a really great example of an event. And I certainly left feeling pretty inspired. So that's episode 19 in a nutshell. Thank you so much for tuning in. Share this with your friends. Subscribe over at UnloosedTheGoose.com and make sure you subscribe to the newsletter. How's everybody doing today? Good. good. I'm, I'm ready good. for turkey. Ready for turkey. That's right. Ready for turkey. What a crazy world we're living in with all the COVID restrictions and everyone freaked out about Thanksgiving, huh? Yeah. Speaking of events, I'm going to my parents' house. I'm glad that we're still gathering, although my mom is insisting on everyone wearing masks in the house. We're eating outside. Okay. So me and my brother are like, all right, well, we're pissing in the corner of the backyard, I guess. <laughs> Gavin Newsom rules, yeah. That sounds wow. sanitary. Yeah, those are uh, the California rules are extreme. How does create such a rebel, John? No, they're not conformists in the least bit. I'm surprised. I think it's just this latest round of news. Yeah. Like my dad gets it. He worked at the underground bookstore, which I'd like to share about because we hosted a bunch of events. But he was he volunteered and worked to register at a conspiracy bookstore for about <laughs> a year. So he was already on his way to conversion. That pushed him way down the rabbit hole. Now he's a, a truther and stuff. But uh, well, why don't we start? Um, I know two of our gaggle weren't weren't there, but let's start by recapping the Spearco event. Jack, how often do you do those workshops at your place? Boy, I've gotten that question a bunch in the last week. When's the next one? Uh, the next one will be in November of 2021. Uh, I usually do one a year in November. We usually do it on or around the week of uh, Veterans Day, and we do that just because it works out really well. We're kind of heading into our Thanksgiving. The weather's nice. Usually it rains. It didn't really rain this time. I think we got like 10 seconds of rain or something. Um, but it's just a good time of year to do it. The weather's right. People have the time to take off. We try to keep it not right up against Thanksgiving, so we try to put a week ahead of it. We did like five in the first year we were there, and that was that was too many. My wife and I backed up and went, so if we want to stay married, we need to not <laughs> do this like this anymore. We kind of went to two, and we're in and out on doing two a year. If we do two, we'll do one in the spring. I try not to back it because Nicole does one in the spring, I try not, and we have such cross-market. I try not to do it like on the same week but sometimes that happens and I make the spring one smaller. So it's easier on us, less staff, et cetera. But it all started because we wanted to get people out here and, and, and teach them permaculture and teach them uh, prepping and, and, and just commune. And it turned into 
like the single greatest thing I think that's ever come out of my work. Like those people you, you know now, and it's, I, I know you'll agree with me because you've been now, John, even just to one of them. It's very hard to explain to somebody that hasn't been there what, what the sense of communities like at one of our workshops. And I've been to tons of events and I've never quite felt it that way anyplace else. Yeah. No, I, that was one of the first things that I noticed on upon arriving, how connected everyone was. I just assumed that everyone was like part of this good old boy network for years and years. And then when people raise their hands, first timers, right? You're like, who's been here? Who's this first time to be here? There was a significant number of people. So I assume there's like a digital connection and some of y'all's support groups. And um, that's something we can talk about too, online community as well which I think a lot of people are mastered, but what we need to get people out from behind the computer more. But I, it was just such a high caliber of people there, their character, that even folks that were new, like myself, I didn't know anyone there really except for you and Nicole. Um, everyone was so warm, so welcoming, and I was just kind of blown away by like, wow, this is, this is one hell of a community that Jack's built here, high caliber peeps the type of people that I want to be involved with and do business with and bug out with, you know, so you do a similar event in Tennessee, Nicole yeah, workshop I do, kind of deal. I, I do a spring workshop. Jack announced he was going to stop doing spring workshops. And I was like, great, because I want the hauler community to be a, a gathering place for sharing ideas, uh, developing relationships where you can provide mutual aid and just sharing best practices so that we have a foundation and I'd already done an event or two here, which I'm glad I did like non-paid big parties before I did my first event. Um, and then it's, as Jack said, we have a lot of crossover on who goes to his and who goes to mine. So uh, he came to my first one and that was a big draw for people. And it's really developing into an interest. It's a, it's a little bit different than Jack's. We, we focus a little bit more on um, improving the self, like the psyche. Uh, and uh, have a bit of a more focus on I have a lot more small business people getting started. So we tend to cater to their needs. We may have a CPA and uh, attorney in next time for for people to have meetings with. So that sounds amazing. I'm just getting the CPA, the, CP, the accountant and the attorney. Um, cool. What, what, so what do you mean by like self-development? Like y'all, y'all are out there doing ayahuasca and stuff or something like doing... that. I mean, like this last one, we had a session on handling PTSD Cool. and we had three veterans at different stages of the process. And it was like a huge downer. The session was, and it was at, yeah. the, at the end of day one and it, but it caused everybody to get closer because these guys shared real stories, like shared things they hadn't told their spouses yet about mm. their experience. And uh, the idea is you need to heal the whole person, right? Not just, you know, we're all, a lot of us are in this keto journey, losing weight. Well, that's one piece, but I need to heal my whole person and be the, the strongest person I can physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Yeah. So we do, but we do lots of fun, t tangible things too. When's that in the spring, Nicole? Yeah, it's the last weekend of April. Yeah, he's going to tell you he's going to come and not show up. That's okay. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Got him, coach. I think, I think the in-person element of being vulnerable and getting into that self-development work is really critical. And to bring it back to COVID that we're experiencing, like everyone is stressed. 
People are having their livelihoods taken away from them. People are having their dignity taken away from them, being forced to wear these face masks. And there's so much fear and anxiety. And at the same time, there isn't that outlet, right? I know religion and spirituality was topic for last week, but church is a place that people routinely go to on Sunday to vent, to be in community, uh, you know, in the Catholic church to share their confession and not just not the church, but like going to the bar or having the poker game with the group of husbands to vent about the wives, you know, people are missing that. And I think it's one of the reasons why everything's so nasty nowadays. Have you guys been getting out a lot, CJ and Sal and, and being in community? I know, Sal, you're venturing all around. You're in Florida now, but you Sal's guys have social gatherings and stuff. Oh, yeah. Everything's like there is no virus in Florida. Basically, we're good here. Um, I'm out at the bar. I'm like going to restaurants and stuff. I'm living a normal life at this point. Selfish um, bastard. Yeah, Are you glad you I, moved? I see everybody talking about what's that? Yes, of course. Um, I see everybody talking about like go, like lockdowns and, and limits on how many people you can have Thanksgiving with. But I don't have I have none of that thing, thankfully, to deal with. So. I'm lucky. CJ's in the same boat, I believe. So yeah, CJ's in Florida too. What do you got? Yeah, going on? yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not the most uh, gregarious person and not the most like going out kind of person. So you know, I'm basically still doing what I want to do, which is mostly not going out. But <laughs> that's just me. Like I, the I'm, introverts are loving it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm an introvert and a homebody and a family man. So, you know, I mean, I spent. You're wasting your spot in Florida, man. You need to trade with somebody. <laughs> I, I, I did go, um, about a month ago, I did, um, put on my extrovert hat for a while and went to, uh, Tom Woods' house. Actually, uh, Pete was there. And, um, that was the biggest gathering I've been to, um, since this whole thing started. Not that I go to that many big gatherings anyway, but, um, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool because like a zillion people jammed into Tom Woods' house um, with no no COVID protocols, let's say. <laughs> In fact, did, going did, the opposite way. Did anybody way. get COVID is the question. No, he actually put out a um, uh, like a question in his Facebook group, I think, within a couple of weeks. Basically, um, maybe it wasn't – it might have been another member of the Facebook group. Maybe it wasn't Tom himself, but basically just sort of like just out of curiosity – Right. Mm-hmm. Did anybody and basically nobody who chimed in responding to the post, me included, had had anything to report as far as even remotely uh, suspicious symptoms. So there you go. That's because COVID isn't real. We right. did have one person that went home and tested positive. Now, you can take that for what it's worth. But he also said he uh, lost his sense of smell. So that's supposed to be you know diagnostic for COVID. Um We've had a couple other people say they lost their sense of smell in the Telegram chat for the event, but nobody's sick. I mean, nobody's sick. We had it wasn't a, guy a super was, spreader event, except for spreading freedom. Yeah, we had a guy yeah. that was in the late 70s. He's had like three kidney transplants. <laughs> he had freaking open heart surgery a month and a half before this. He had to go back in the hospital. He was in the hospital two weeks before the event, and I'm like, dude, I'll give you your money back. You know, he's like, the hell with that. I ain't scared to die. And I heard him say that to like five people at the event. <laughs> and there's this picture that I put on Parlor. I, I went on and just kind of checked in on Parlor during the event, and like everybody was bitching about the whole Newsom thing with how many people can be at like your 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 Thanksgiving and shit like that. And I was like, so I go into the bar and I got or the bar. It was like a bar, right? The the garage, and I got everybody pumped up, and I took this picture. 
And it was like, everybody's just freaking pumped. There's a great shot of John in there with his freaking glass in the air. And, but Steve looks lit. Steve Larkin is the guy that was, uh, the gentleman we're talking about. He looks lit off his ass and he's just whole dude <laughs> overalls on pumped out of his ass. And I'm like, yeah. you know what? This is, this is what we're doing when y'all are cowering and, and obeying. Well, this, this is how we're, we're spending our time, but. You know, he's fine. And I just wonder, like, I've tried so hard to get my whole community on the Q-certain zinc, D, and magnesium protocol. And I think most people are. And, hey, maybe it works. I don't know. The Eastern Virginia Medical School is, you know, saying you should do that now and what have you. So, you know, maybe there's actually ways to increase your immunity to things. And even yeah. if you get it, not really get sick. Like, I, I love that thing. Have y'all seen a thing going around lately where people are saying, stop saying asymptomatic. The world word is healthy. Quit being an idiot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like asymptomatic is not a thing. It means healthy. Yeah. I think that's part of the holistic approach to Nicole was referencing. Like you want to be self-sufficient. You want to be off the grid. You want to have the food production systems. But a lot of people aren't self-sufficient from the, the medical industrial complex. And a lot of people are dependent and a lot of people have chronic illness issues, much of which are preventable or even reversible if you already have them with lifestyle changes, with dietary yep. changes. So there's a level of security and sovereignty in a sense when you're just so healthy and this kind of thing rolls around and you, you know, you weigh it at first, you get the data at first and you're like, okay, this, I can handle this, you know? And then I guess the question comes down to, do I have people that are extremely vulnerable in my inner circle and then I need to be responsible and weigh that and measure that? And uh, CJ brought up Tom Woods. He pointed out something really great was that this public health, the public health authorities and the government politicians, they're like, I'll go with what the scientists say. Their main factor or their main quality that they weigh is public health is like not having people die. Right. But there's other aspects to life, like having a social life, being in community, earning a living, paying off debt, running a business, going and meeting people, you know, and not I think killing yourself, not being foreclosed upon and thrown out of your house. Like there's lots of things that are important. Yeah, right. Not, yeah. No, not getting addicted to, um, you know, harmful substances uh, and, and destroying yourself that way because, your your personal economy right. was destroyed by the lockdowns. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. E- even the the public health people, it's like I've heard some people with that description actually take a somewhat holistic approach and say, yeah, we have to kind of balance out the the suicides and all the other, you know, the the overdoses and all the other things that are coming out of the lockdowns. But w- what I've concluded is that listen to the experts really means listen to my cherry picked experts. Mm-hmm. And only when they're saying what I want them to say, right? If, yeah. if, even if any of my cherry-picked experts say something off the reservation, then immediately dismiss them and throw them under the bus. So, you know, it, it's it's very cherry-picked. Yeah. Well, and the notion that we're quarantining the healthy people, that that's the part that confuses me. And CJ is going to know a lot more about this than I. We actually have a question on YouTube about this, but... When I've read about quarantines, it's the sick people forced to stay in their homes. Yeah, I, I, I think the technical definition of quarantine is to separate a person who may be sick mm-hmm. just in case. In other words, like, you know, you go to some hot spot full of disease, you get back and either you choose to or someone makes you, you know, oh, for this many days, 
you know, stay just stay in your room, stay by yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like the, the, um, I guess that's sort of what they used to do in the old days in Ellis Island kind of thing. Yeah. Just to make sure people weren't bringing TB into the, to the country or whatever. Yeah. But, um, and I mean, what they're doing with they you know, you, if you have something like airborne Ebola, I guess that even makes sense. Like, cause you, you were exposed. So like, you were at a hospital, you're sitting in a waiting room, there's a guy in there, he starts choking his guts up, and they go, oh, crap, it's a bullet. Well, they'll lock that whole group down because you've been exposed. With something like this, I don't I don't see how the model makes sense anymore. Did y'all see it was this week? I think Dollar Vigilante is the guy that put it out. Well, there was some airport where two of the baggage handlers tested positive, and it was in some foreign country. I don't remember what. They made an announcement. Basically, they were going to lock the entire airport down. Because two of the baggage handlers outside tested positive for COVID and like everybody went ape shit and just like, they're like, no one can leave. And they just all left the freaking airport. Like we're not mm-hmm. doing this. Hell yeah. It was, it was cool as shit. Like they're like the guys on, you could hear the, the announcement going over and over and over again. And like, it's like pandemonium. Like there was a shooter in there or something. Everybody just left. And of course you can make two or three people stay in the place. You, you can't make, you know, you probably an airport, what do you, 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people. You can't make 40,000 people do shit if all 40,000 decide we're not doing that. And I think that <coughs> kind of circle Uh-oh. back to events. Like the more events, the harder it is to, uh, to, to, to quell, quell them, right? Like nobody bothered us, but if there were a hundred going on, there would have been no way to do it anyway. Well, good example. Did you see the uh, Jewish synagogue in, I think it was Brooklyn, who held a wedding with like 1,500 people, regardless of what Comrade de Blasio had to say about it? Yeah, and they got fined $15,000. I saw a business owner got fined $15,000 up there, too, and he tore up the $15,000. Yeah. I think just, yeah, like Jack's saying, the the more the merrier. And one big factor is what kind of authoritarian state you live in the relative degrees of authoritarianism because in california or in la they're like shutting people's power off for having gatherings that's not happening here in texas you know texas is a little more mild when it comes to all that but um yeah to bring it back to events let's talk about the different types of events and maybe we can give our experience if we've had part in hosting or participated and uh i'd like to encourage folks we're always encouraging people to be more active and to be leaders to host events, to host meetups, right? You don't, I want to talk about big conferences, crypto and liberty conferences. You don't have to go that far, but a simple meetup at the restaurant down the street for the local voluntarists or the local prepper group or Jack's freaking community is so damn big. Chances are in most cities you could start a TSP meetup and you know, you'd get a couple dozen people that show up. So, um, I get those are a yeah. thing. There's mm-hmm. TSP meetups like just on meetup.com where people Hell yeah. Like, Meet at like IHOP or something like that's a thing. Right on. So um, I'm a big fan of conferences and uh, the bigger, larger scale. Right. And I've been to quite a few of the cryptocurrency conferences back in the day. And there's a whole series of Liberty conferences. So maybe we can just talk about some of those. The regular ones are Porkfest. Right. That's like a camp out conference. That's the Free State Project that puts that on. And then they do more of a suit and tie hotel conference. Uh, called Liberty Forum. That's in mm-hmm. February. The other one's in June. There was Freedom Fest, which is more of the like uh, big money libertarians, you know, that happens in Vegas and uh, Anarchapulco. That's actually going to take place right now, right? on a more private scale, on a smaller scale. It's not going on right now. They're doing it in March and they're going to do virtual and then have like a smaller number of attendees. But that's one that I've been to twice. And that one's 
that one's badass at a fancy hotel in print in uh, Acapulco. They're not doing that anymore. Are there any other regular Liberty conferences that happen? There's also Liberty festivals I want to talk about, but what what am I missing? And then maybe well, people. Can the public policy world has the state policy network event, which is an annual conference. It's about 900,000 people. 900,000 people? 900 to 1,000 people. Oh, shit. Oh. I was I like, even, right. damn. <laughs> wow, that's some event. I don't even know what would happen at 900,000 to that event, but yeah. So what are those like? Kind of wonky and. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, you know, state think tanks and national think tanks sharing policy ideas and, um, you know, building a network. So okay. I used to go to those because I used to work with them. So I go to the Bitcoin conference every year, uh, the North American Bitcoin conference down in Miami, but <clears throat> we got lucky. We just got that in, in February and then in March, the, the Rona hit. So I don't know if they're going to have it again, but that's always a good time. In fact, next two weeks, I got invited to speak at BitBasil. I guess they have Art Basil. It gets canceled every year. It, get, it got canceled this year in Miami, but I think the Bitcoin Center is still going to have some sort of event going on uh, because in Florida, you can do that kind of shit. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, but that's next week. Um, and uh, also, <clears throat> you know, Gorism got started at, at a conference, right? The first ever... The whole birth of agorism took place at a conference in New York City. And actually, just before Neil, uh, J. Neil Shulman died, I was I was speaking to him in DMs, and I was like, hey, man, it would be epic if we threw another one of these conferences. And uh, he was just like, you know, I don't have the resources. I'm not in the physical shape to do that, but, you know, knock yourself out. So who knows? Maybe that would be something for us to think about one day when this is all over. Heck what yeah. about Burning Man? Yeah, there's one. That's I've a very I've never been, but style. it's like seven square miles and it's like tens of thousands of people and it's all, I don't know, they canceled it this year. So I guess maybe they're not as anarchist as we think. It's in the middle of the desert, right? Well, it's in Nevada. They have, aren't they deal? Who's the governor out there? The lunatic oh, guy. <laughs> yeah, that narrows down politicians. Now. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> We have mail now. We've got that part under control. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you put Sturgis in this this year? Because they're like, oh, oh yeah, and like, they did it. Like, and they ran out and like, and then that awesome song came out of Sturgis too. That blonde chick, I can't think of what it's. Uh, oh, it's it's fuck your fucking feelings. That was like nice. that came out of the Sturgis. Thing. Oh yeah. And didn't they try to make up a bunch of propaganda after Sturgis saying oh, yeah. everybody got uh-huh. sick when in, in reality no one actually got sick? It was all a bunch of DNC lies. Yeah. Yeah, they really stretched the truth on that one. Um, so those are some conferences. I'll try after the fact. There's a website that has an aggregation of all these Liberty Voluntarist crypto conferences. I, I tried to find it just a second ago. I can't find it. but So there's like suit and tie hotel conference style, which are great for speeches. And there's always great after parties. And like, uh, like Sal was saying, you know, a lot of the magic happens drinking beer at the bar with all these great visionary thinkers and they're like plotting and strategizing and networking. That's one of the big values of all of this stuff. Another great type of Liberty Conference are these spontaneous order agorist festivals. I think it might have been Alma Summer and Jackalope Freedom Festival that kind of started this brand of doing it. And she maybe like six or seven years ago. It's in the forest, the national forest. So even though it's a national forest, it's largely like no regulation. It's just a freaking mm-hmm. forest. You can go s- live out there if you wanted to. 
And she was just like, we're having this Freedom Festival. There's no, they always try to say there's no organizers or no leaders, but naturally there's a couple people that are kind of steering the ship. But it's like, you don't have to pay for a ticket. You don't have to pay to be a sponsor. You don't have to pay to do a vendor booth. People just show up and spontaneous order takes over. And it's a very beautiful thing. I went to one recently called Midfest Liberty Fest in that same vein. It was the very first one. It was in Spavanaugh, Oklahoma at a biker where they normally do biker rallies there, Copperhead Rally Grounds. And that was super cool. There was like 60 people and there weren't many actual things. I did a Freedom Cell workshop, but mostly it was like people sitting around the fire and going on hikes. And I think there's just a really important bonding that takes place. And people that are new to this whole thing, they go to an event like this and they're like, holy shit, there's actually people that think like I do. I think that's a really important factor for new folks to, to have that community. You know, freaking Dave in the, uh, not freaking, freaking Dave Freegan. in the uh, YouTube chat mentioned um, Rabbit Stick, which is awesome, and Winter Court, which I have, or Winter yeah, winter, winter count, which I, I'm not sure about. I don't, never heard of that one. But Rabbit Stick is an awesome kind of primitive skills things. And I think that's what the other one he's talking about is. And the Firefly Gap, uh, Firefly Gatherings. That's yep. another one. So those are three that I don't think would market themselves as, you know, Liberty Festivals or mm-hmm. uh, Agorist Festivals. But if you go there, cause I, like I've been to Firefly, you're going to find it very Liberty oriented, uh, very Agorist. Like you're going to see all kinds of tr- like, there's might be some official trade, but there's going to be tons of private trade going on. And I think it's, it's interesting, like, cause these events go from like John was saying really, really kind of suit and tie, or at least like business casual in a hotel to completely, you know, like, you know, freaking hippie-ish. Out Topless ladies. Yeah, <laughs> that happens. And then I would throw in there like, you know, permaculture voices for three years. That was very much a, very similar experience. And it was because it was all based on, you know, uh, farming and ranching and and food production and things like that. So it attracts a significant element of that. So I, I think like when people are looking for a place to go, like you mentioned, cryptocurrency, it's not marketed as an agorist thing. But if you go where people are talking about cryptocurrency, you're going to find some agorists there, right? You're going to find some anarchists there. You're going to find some libertarians there. So I yeah. think it's not always trying to find a place that's specifically marketing, but a lot of times I think maybe these one-off things that attract people that let you lead with the relationship type of thing. Yeah. That's oh, what, good for, it's good for um, like, like exchanging ideas and stuff and staying up to date with, you know, whatever it is that you're interested in. Um, you know, I'm sure at Jack's thing, you probably, John, you probably ran into a bunch of people who, you know, you get to exchange ideas with them and you learn something that you didn't know before. And then you can take that and you can share it with your followers. You know, I learned about, tokenization from uh going to a conference and talking to patrick byrne and like that sort of that created a whole year's worth of content for my podcast and my blog and and, you know it really opened my eyes to the the counter-economic potential of tokenization so it's always good to stay on top of things well sal wasn't it either liberty forum or pork fest that completely turned you into an agorist like (laughs) yeah yeah it was it was pork fest i think like that's probably one of the top festivals out there for agorism if anybody's ever been there i mean if you haven't been there i I highly highly recommend going it's it's a blast yeah they have a gore speak right so jack is going to be there in 2020 right oh cool maybe 2021 uh i was supposed to be there this year and then 
like to go that far and spend that much time, I have to like stack my <laughs> yearly vacation into it. And they were shutting all the shit down there. And I'm like, my wife deals with enough crap. I'm not taking her to a place where you can't. Have do you ever been Jack? No, not to Porkfest. I've spoken to Liberty it. Forum three times and they want me to come. And it was, I was going to do it this year, but like, so in the middle of the summer, like we, we had planned as we were going to do Porkfest for a few days and then go to Maine and like go to it's all beautiful. these little harbor yeah. towns and shit. And then like they were shutting down shopping and all. And I'm like, I can't do that with my wife. So where'd I go? I went to Florida. Right. Yeah. So like, I'm wondering if like, you're going to see like all the Liberty Forum type festivals this year in Florida. Like hopefully not in the event, summer. Event business in Florida is fixing to blow up. Like if there's an event planning company that's publicly traded that does business in Florida, you might want to invest in that company in 2021. That's not a bad idea. I had a conference. Uh, I'm a big follower of Grant Cardone. He's a big success guy. He wrote the 10x rule. He's really helped me to multiply my business and my revenue since I started following him a couple of years ago. But last year, my girlfriend and I, in February, right before all the COVID stuff broke out, we went to the 10X Growth Conference. And there was like Kevin Hart, Magic Johnson, uh, Scooter Braun, this big agent, all these huge names that spoke about success and their lessons and everything that they learned. It's really freaking cool. Um, Floyd Mayweather was there, too. And this year, we were planning to go again. And I got a free ticket bundled as part of this other package. It's all about stacking all these little values. But wait, there's more kind of stuff. But they recently, they canceled it, the one in Vegas. And they're instead doing it in Florida. He's based in Miami. But you're right. It's going to be a huge boom all over the place for for the economy in Florida. I saw that the South Dakota governor, God bless her, I love her. She is taking like $4 million from their COVID relief funds from the CARES Act and investing it in marketing and promotion for their tourism industry. <laughs> She's the best. Nice. So, yeah, people places are winning out. Like stealing money. Like they stole taxpayer money. I prefer the second thief to the first thief. Right. So like the first thief stole it. What the second thief did was steal it from a thief. So good for her. Yeah. So these are the bigger types of events. And of course, obviously organizing a more official conference at a hotel costs a lot of money. There's big deposits. There's more risks. You got to fly in some of the headliners. These spontaneous ones literally take very little, little to no overhead. The guy in Spavano, Oklahoma, just built a website and then shared it on Telegram and social media and stuff. So some other those are those tend to be bigger events, right? Like hundreds of people, if not thousands, for the big conferences. Then there's some lower hanging fruit that are easier to organize. Um, meetup would probably be just the lowest level that people ought to do. And if you're yes. complaining about not people in your area or like you're all alone or whatever, just go set up a meetup.com account and see what you could do. Try to do like a general term, like survival or preparedness or liberty or voluntarism or agorism might be a little specific, but we'll Gardening. get there. Gardening's a great Gardening. thing too. Gardening is great. And then maybe the workshop, I guess, would be a level above the meetup. Do you want to talk a little about what goes into y'all's workshops that y'all do? Cause I was, I was impressed. It was, it wasn't like super polished and official, but it was like, there was food, there was staff, it was orderly. Everything started on time. It was a good experience. Well, how, yeah, what all went into that? I mean, I recently did an episode where I broke down everything that people can find on my website, the survivalpodcast.com. But like the, the top end stuff is, you know, we learned as we went. The first thing I did was go to workshops about the size of what I wanted to do. And then like, I didn't bitch about everything I didn't like, but I made notes about everything I thought was wrong. Like a lot of the permaculture workshops, you have to bring your own like 
flatware and your own plate and shit like that and whatever. Or like one of them, they asked me to like, if you drink coffee, bring coffee and make sure it's fair trade. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not charging somebody 500 bucks for, for three days and, and tell them they need to bring anything except, you know, like camping gear and stuff like that. So one of the things I would say is like pick something in the realm of what you want to do and go to it and then critique it and, and don't necessarily be a dick about it, you know, but say to yourself, what are the things that I felt like weren't right as a paying customer? And then don't do that. Uh, you mentioned food. Like we have really good food. And if I did my event at a hotel venue, they will make you spend a certain amount of money on hospitality services based on how long you're there and how many people are there. That's what destroyed Permaculture Voices. By the third one, he wasn't making any money. He quit. Uh, that's yeah. Diego Footer. And that's exactly what they did. They sucked it all out. Now, we were going to the bar room in this beautiful hotel. You know, there was like 500 people packing this bar, spending crap loads of money at their establishment, but that wasn't enough. They wanted more. So we got okay food that they paid way too much for. Like when you came to my place, like our last meal that we had together was rabbit and rattlesnake sausage, elk and beehive cheddar, um, quail legs, legs skewered with a Szechuan peppercorn sauce, uh, and brisket. And I had a lot of money into that, but compared to what I would have had into it if we did it with a hotel, we would have gotten half of the food at half the quality for three times the price. So my biggest expense is food, and that's where I don't make as much money on my events as I could, but I kind of feel like that's a big part of it. Like if you give people a good social experience, and you give people good food, they feel like you took care of them no matter what. Um, and, and I guess the other thing is with staff, like you mentioned staff. We have staff, they're official staff, they're paid. And if once you get to the point where people are giving you money, charge enough money to have officially paid staff and then have them there to do a job, right? Don't have them there. Like I've been to a lot of places where it's like volunteer labor. And what happens is, well, I want to see this thing. I want to do that thing. I want to be here for that. Well, they're not being paid. So you can't be like, look, freaking lunch is coming. Get your ass in the kitchen, right? When you pay people and you say you are kitchen staff, you don't have to say, hey, lunch is coming. Get your ass in the kitchen. They do it because that's why they're there. So having paid staff, and we did something this year a little bit different, and I really recommend this. Once you get to any level of size, we paid somebody to come help us set up. And we paid somebody to come help us clean up. It was totally disconnected from the event. Like y'all never saw that person. And that made my wife so much more like, um, at peace. Right? Like, just, <laughs> but up your you know, cost though, like, right? The whole garage was put back to normal. All the stuff was put back in the storage shed. I mean, we have a shed that's pretty much dedicated to all the stuff we use for this event to be stored in along with Christmas stuff. Like that's the only thing that shed really does. And it, we, we've gotten very organized at it. We started out, we did okay, but I didn't start out doing like an event with 80 people. So like this last one was 80 people, including staff. Um, our first one we did like 25 and I really recommend you kind of pare down in your beginning. And then we got really good at it. And we used to be like two months before an event, Dorothy and I'd be like, Oh, we're fucking screwed. We're not ready. You know? <laughs> and now we're like, we're like half the shit's not done. We're two weeks out and we're like, we got this. And it's just yeah. because. The longer you do something, the better you get. Now, on bartering, this is where I would barter for labor. I had a guy, for instance, this year, and I thought he could actually use some community, too. It's part of why I did it. But he had paid to come. I gave him his deposit back. I let him come for free, and I had him come in a week early. And he he helped me get ready 
But then once he got to, okay, the workshop's running now, his debt was paid. He's not staff anymore. He's a student. So I would do barter like attendance for labor, but it used to be before or after, not during. Because that, we did that like the first event and, and my wife and I sat down and looked at each other and said, we will never, ever, ever, never infinity ever do that again. Yeah. Y'all did a great job. It was super professional, but like I said, easy going and, and fun. What about real quick? One more question. How much planning goes into that now, now that you're all pro about it? And then how much planning went on early on? Like how, how early do you start getting everything together and get the ball rolling? In the beginning, less, believe it or not. Cause right now my mind is already planning 2021. Yeah. Right. I'm all, so the, the agenda that we had, even though I like, I booked you toward the end, right, John, but it was an opportunity to do so. The overall agenda was all based on, here's everything we screwed up in 2019. So we're not going to do that again in 2020. We're going to, we're going to be better. So looking at this one, like I have to go, this is like the best one we ever did and we can still do better. How can we do better? So I'm already thinking like, what are the, cause you still, we have like half the people are brand new. And half the people have been there before. And like 70% of the people who have been there before have been to like six or more. So I, I try to bring new stuff in. So I'm like, okay, we did 3D printing, but what can we do on fabrication? Like can, maybe we do something with CNC next time, right? So like I'm already planning 2021. Nice. Yeah. Well, you, Nicole, how much time goes into yours? What are y'all's like? I, I imagine that there, you haven't done an 80-person okay, so one yet. Size? I I did, I took Jack's advice before he gave it and I went to his workshop to steal as many ideas as possible. So we'll start there. I had been doing events already. So I started here with Liberty on the Rocks, which is a local meetup at a bar once a month. And it transitioned to come camping at, at our, at our land. And that was like, the goal was cover the food costs. Well, you know, after two years of that and putting so much time into organizing these guys, you know, 20 bucks for a weekend wasn't going to cut it anymore. And, you know, it was time for somebody else to organize that one. I knew I wanted to do skills-based stuff. So we had, um, you know, that the solar eclipse that happened that turned into a craze that was literally right over the hauler as if the hauler was designed to be the best place to see that. And I already knew I wanted to do events. I think it was after I'd been to Jack's workshop and, and like the best thing I got out of Jack's workshop was dedicated staff. And, um, rather than using all paper plates, he has the metal plates that are pretty indestructible and he has each person wash their plate. So you don't have like the person who's miserable all weekend long doing all the dishes for everybody. It's not a lot to ask to do that. So getting that together and then pairing it with I had done coordination of large conferences in in my career, I had spreadsheets put together and, you know, talked to speakers about what their goal of each talk was and did a lot of um, work in advance. I think the hardest part is getting your house ready or your land ready to host that many people and have them be comfortable because you need to they're paying customers. You want to shelter them, even though it's outside, right? You want to shelter them from the rain and the hot, and you want to make sure they have enough water and 
food and beverage and all of those things, like getting your place ready for that. When you start deciding you're going to do an event and you look around and you say, well, where's everybody going to go? How am I going to park the cars? How am I going to keep them dry? If it rains, it's Tennessee. It rains, right, Jack? Parking Nazis. Parking Nazis. Parking Nazis because I stole that from you. Yeah, you have to have parking Nazis. So I actually have yeah. two eight hundred numbers I can forward wherever I want, and whoever my Nazis are for that event, I you know last minute forward it to their phones. Because what we found early on was you tell somebody park here in a straight line this way, and they park like four feet over on a forty five degree angle, and you don't want to be the person that's charging them that says, "Hey, stupid." Put your car where I said, because now you're a dick, right? But if you have a group of people, you call the parking Nazis, well, they're expected to be strict. They're Nazis. Nazis are strict. Yeah. And they're not their you. They're not. And that's like anything you need to enforce, you want a staff member enforcing it. As a host, you don't want to touch it. That's good. You know, you really unless, want to unless it's get, an you know, objection of somebody for behavior. Yeah, like if you need to do it, then you need to step in and do it. But you need to try to give that dedicated job to somebody and then let them do it as long as they're doing it well. Because when you're trying to like fit that many vehicles, you know, we have three acres, but a lot of it's reserved for like food forestry, and we don't really want people doing seventeen three point turns with a trailer and stuff like that. So we have very regimented, like, are you parking for the duration or do you need in and out? If you need in and out, you're in one spot. If you're here to be here for the duration, you're in another. And then we're very strict on that because my limit on capacity is parking. I could yeah. do no problem. I could sell more tickets. We sold out in five minutes this year when we opened wow. up ticket sales. And, and I and think that's – go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I was gonna say I would say this for people who are listening to this, thinking I kind of want to do events, but uh, it's scary because we're making it sound really scary. Me. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first thing you do, and if this goes back to the Equinox party, is you say Christmas is coming. Yeah. Choose a weekend in December, make a turkey or something, and have an event for your network, and say come. And the price of admission uh, uh, is you bring an hors d'oeuvre to share. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then start small. And then you will see, you know, like maybe 15 people will come, maybe seven people will come and you don't have to have an agenda of content, like maybe have some ideas of conversation starters, but you'll mm-hmm. see how it plays out on your property for parking, for having people there. And you don't have people who just paid you 500 bucks yeah, pissed off at you because you didn't have enough, you know, like you hadn't figured out where they're going to poop or whatever that is. Cause that's yeah. the thing. I think our first one, we had three, we charged 300. Yeah. Um, we did have a market to market to. We knew exactly what we were doing, but we only had like 25 people. And I, I literally said before I put the tickets on sale, we will fuck some shit up. We yeah. will make some mistakes. We will not get this 100% right, but I will do my best for you. So the people yeah. coming kind of had this like, uh, and I think we actually did pretty good with it. Like I actually, our favorite talkative interrupting guest, Jake, came up to me. He was at the very first one and he said, I don't think you guys messed anything up. So. <laughs> I don't know that we didn't mess anything up, but, but we kind of soft rode into it. And I would say another thing, like when you do get to selling tickets to an event, this shit where people are like, they put their tickets on sale like six months before an event and like, ah, get as many as you want. Promote it. Tell the date that it's coming in advance. Get it primed. Limit it. Make it known that it's limited. And then open it up at a specific time. We usually sell out in under an hour. Five minutes blew me. Like wow. totally like away this time, but usually within an hour we're 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 done anyway, and that's because we do that pre-promotion. Nice. Yeah, it's also because you have a 
big following. Yeah, I might have some. It takes me a week or two with that strategy, but (laughs) you'll get there. Talk. We're gonna do uh, something with freedom cells up here. Probably, I'm thinking January ish time frame. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. We did one in Austin. We did one in Houston. I did one in Spavanaugh, Oklahoma. So I'm trying to do as many freedom cell meetups all around. One of these days, I'll be. I will definitely be hyper wealthy and I can fly wherever I want to put on the event or whatever with the budget and stuff and the private jet that we're going to purchase as the Freedom Cell Network so we can opt out of all the COVID measures. But we so when we do events, um, the first one that I did here in Austin, just a Freedom Cell event, there was probably about 35 people or 36 people, which I thought was a great crowd for the first for the first one. And, you know, one of the things doing events during COVID, everyone is just so enamored with just being around people, right? A lot of folks, even in our community, haven't really gotten out much because there hasn't been much to do. And so I think that's something that's really important right now. I always try to give myself, it's a, if it's a smaller event, just a meetup with like one speaker or just having the meetup at the local restaurant, try to give myself at least two weeks to promote it. If it's something where you don't have to book this or bring this person in, at least two weeks of heavy promotion, ideally a little bit more. And then something that's really valuable too is the recurring event. Make it easy for yourself. It's the third Thursday of every month we're having the gardening meetup or the voluntarist agorist meetup. And it may start small, five people, you and your wife and another couple. But eventually over time, people will start, there'll be a buzz about it. They had a good time, you know, because a lot of people don't have this. I feel blessed because like in Austin, we have such a huge liberty community. Now there's like all these different factions and stuff. There's been all sorts of different events to choose from consistently, not so much now. But if it's in your area and you may be the only voluntarist meetup in town, so you could give people a pretty, pretty solid outlet and I think that heavy heavy marketing promotion is important. Try to get an email list if you can of people in your community. Start a Telegram group. Um, I want to talk about the online social stuff again, but let's bring CJ into the mix. So we've talked about events, workshops, freedom, spontaneous festivals, meetups. Can you kind of talk about the historical importance? Maybe just start with the American experience of patriots and rebels just getting together in the household or meeting underneath the Liberty tree and how that helped to spur the American revolution, essentially. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing to think about is that we are social slash tribal primates, right? I mean, that's what we are. And so even for someone like me, who's not the most gregarious person, um, still I enjoy Going to, I can't do it all the time or I get driven crazy and run out, run out of battery power. But, um, you know, I do enjoy going to, uh, the occasional event and, um, you know, I've, I've been to a bunch of the, the events that, uh, have been mentioned so far and, and, and several others that haven't. And I do always enjoy it, even though usually after about a weekend, I'm ready to just, you know, <laughs> unplug and that's it. But, um, yeah, if you look back to the, the real origins of the American Revolution, right? Before it got hijacked by the elites and, you know, they kind of jumped in front of a parade that other people started and then act like they were leading the parade, but that was all BS. And, you know, everybody can go listen to my American Revolution series that I made like five years ago for more on this. But basically, 
in the the early stages, like 1774, 1775, it's all local, um, local town governments and militia units in rural New England. Really, that's where it came from. And it's it's just so hard. You can go read a book like um, American Insurgents, American Patriots is a good one by T.H. Breen to get some of a sense of this, that it was all very local and it was regular people with just like their own local, you know, little um, what eventually they started calling committees of safety. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they were just sort of like local um usually town based groups that were basically just wanting to protect the right of their little town to keep governing itself and they were worried that uh, the redcoats and everybody was going to come and um confiscate their gunpowder basically that that was the british gun control strategy at the time was we don't have the ability to actually go house to house taking everybody's musket but maybe we can take away their gunpowder and that way their muskets are just, you know, really awkward clubs. The classic move. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. An ammo tax, right? Yeah. A, a gun with that ammo is an awkward club. So, you know, it, it is very grassroots when you go back to the real beginning phases of the revolution, right? The, the version that's often taught in school is top down. It's, well, a bunch of fancy guys got together in Philadelphia in 1776 and declared independence. Right. But, you know, if you look at the timeline, you see that, you know, the first shots of the American Revolution were April 19th, 1775, Lexington and Concord. Right. April 1775. When does the Declaration of Independence get written? A year and three months later. Right. So in other words, a bunch of random average Joes, a bunch of farmers and shopkeepers in April of 1775, they declared their independence through deed. Right. Um, went out yeah. and started shooting redcoats. Agorists. And yeah. And it took a year and three months for the fancy guys with knee breaches down in Philadelphia to decide, oh, man. Oops, I guess we better jump in front of this parade and act like we were leading it the whole time. Yeah, the and, and it was all based on local little, you know, social groups. Often in, in a lot of these New England towns, the, the town government, the church, the local militia unit, like all these things kind of blurred together. Uh, all these people, they were all, you know, friends, neighbors, cousins, everything like that. So. You know, Boogaloo I, Boys, the early Boogaloo. Yeah, the original, right. And they were they were holding these meetings in taverns and pubs, right, CJ, or no? Very often, yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, might be in a church or, you know, some of the towns would have like a dedicated little uh, meeting house type of a building for, for nice. town meetings. And they but, were getting lit, too, because beer was not that common. They were drinking cider, wine, and rum. Those were like nice. the three big drinks, right? Oh yeah, yeah. If you go read, um, one of the early chapters in, um, Renegade History of the United States by Thaddeus Russell, which is a very interesting book, um, he, he gives some of the actual statistics on the alcohol consumption of colonial and early independence Americans. And they were, they were drinking like fish on average. Yeah. Just like Nancy Pelosi. 
Can you, CJ, can you talk a little bit more about the committees of safety? I drew some inspiration for the freedom cell thing from, from committees of safety. Can you share with the audience what, what that was and the role that it played? Yeah, well, it was usually, I mean, this was all like very uh, decentralized, you know, in modern terms, we'd call it like a cell type organization, basically by town. But, you know, the committee of safety would be a, a group that, um, would just be in charge of preparedness more than anything else. Um, the, the British were starting to do powder raids, right? General Gage was sending out these little raids to try and seize store, uh, uh, stores of powder and ball in various towns. And the committees of safety were kind of organizing like, all right, what's our contingency plan if they come to our town, uh, to try and confiscate our gunpowder? Right, our musket balls, whatever. And, and this is really, um, kind of this combined with, uh, the, the Sons of Liberty organization that radiated out from, from Boston and some of the other bigger cities. This was the basis of when you read about Lexington and Concord, right, and Paul Revere's ride, um, the fact of the matter was with none of the technology we have today, with, with, you know, their technology for spreading the word, they didn't have social media, they didn't have the telephone, they didn't even have the telegraph, right? They had guys riding around on horses yelling and lighting signal fires and like occasionally ringing a church bell. That's what they had. And they were able to, um, in the case of the Battle of Lexington and Concord, within a few hours, mobilize thousands of militiamen to go and, um, you know, fight the Redcoats all the way back to Boston. So wow. it was it was very much a bottom up grassroots sort of a thing. Yeah, and that must have required then that, like, if the if the church bell rings this way, it means this. And if it rings that way, then it means this. Like that had to be put out there through the social network of talking through the pubs, the churches, the militia, the groups, et cetera, in advance. Otherwise, well, the church bell's ringing three times, three times in a row. What does that mean? Right. Like, yeah. They had uh, to know, like, hey, that means get your shit and let's go. Yeah, they had it all worked out. I mean, the horse that Paul Revere rode that morning wasn't his horse. It was a horse that someone else lent him, basically, that was like the, you know, fancy sports car of horses for Massachusetts. So that was already, like, pre-planned, like pre-arranged, right? Um, cool. And. Oh. Sorry. It's it's just incredible when you think about, you know, could you or any of us today, if Leviathan is really going off the rails in some way, do something, right? Send out some message that would cause thousands and thousands of people to proverbially pick up their muskets and go confront the Redcoats. And I don't know I if that's the case. To. I think we need to because, yeah. like, John was mentioning a business owner that got fined like fifteen grand or something like that. That, uh, and I, I just saw about that today on Fox News. But he was the same guy that a couple of days ago everybody was cheering on because they came into his place of business. I, I think it was actually after hours. He had other business people there doing a private function. That was great. And they threw the freaking cops. Out. They were like, 
get out, get out. And they yeah. chanted them out and they like walked away. They're like, this is, this is a BLM protest or something like that. Right. Well, but they came back a couple of days later. They always do. And they taped a thing on his door that said he's now being fined $15,000. And so that was possible because he was one guy that not only did a thing, he said, I will do this thing. And he put this giant target on him then. Like he threw down with the king and then the mm -hmm. king got mad and the king slapped his ass around. What if instead he had done the type of thing CJ was just talking about and had gotten with a hundred local business owners and a hundred businesses opened up that day instead of did an after hours business mixer, right? Well, now go ahead. Now go ahead. Good luck. And that's our strength is in numbers, but we have to have a collective spine rather than an individual spine to make that work. And that's yeah. why like the work John's doing with freedom cells is so important. That needs to expand like, okay, so we have our freedom cells. Well, then we have to say we have a freedom cell here in Azel and like my business is online. The guy up the road is like runs a catfish place. If we open his place, he's screwed if, if we had that type of totalitarianism here. But if that group reaches out to all the business owners we know, all the local shops we know and says, okay, hey, we got your back in this. We'll organize our network to come do business with you. Everybody open up 8 a.m. on Tuesday. Yeah. Now what? That happened with bars in Texas. They only, it was just a protest thing. They didn't stay open. Yeah. But it was a similar type of vein. What was uh, that, Nicole? I was going to say on that note, um, I don't know how many of you know who John Moody is. He used to be the executive director for the Farm to Table Legal Defense Fund. Uh, he's been on your show, Jack. He was visiting me last week and I had forgotten this, but he told the story. He runs a grocery cooperative. And one of the things they did was cooperatively buy raw milk. And they got his cooperative got raided, of course, by the feds about the raw milk. And they basically threatened a fine and jail time for the sales of raw milk. And rather than being one person pushing back, what he did is he sent an email out to, you know, I don't remember how many people were in this cooperative, but let's say there were a thousand. Like it's a significant number of families who were getting raw milk from him, lawyers, doctors, Normal people, because lawyers and doctors aren't normal, as we know. And <laughs> <laughs> he he said, OK, I want you to come and I want you to sign this thing that you refuse to be fined or arrested for buying your because for, you know, getting the milk from your cow because they all owned a share of the cow. And they just showed up in mass with this. And so the you know department the USDA basically i think it was what was it food safety whoever that is in the state um couldn't push back on that many people and then he followed it up it happened over independence day he followed it up with sending out the the home phone numbers of the house of representatives and senators in the state yeah gave people a script said be really respectful i'm so sorry to bother you on a holiday but I thought, you know, in the spirit of independence that you'd like to know that your department is raiding our food cooperative and taking our milk. And his point was he was able to push back. He was one of the first successful pushbacks on the raw milk crackdown because it was too many people. It wasn't one guy. And I think that lesson is something we forget as agorists when we're trying to do our own thing and be all independent. If we're if we're not a wall of agorists, then we're nothing. 
on the other side of that equation, I do think there's something to be said for what Jack said going back a few episodes ago. There, it's, it's important to be the gray man and to sort of just blend into the background. So I, I think there's value in both strategies. One other um, historical sort of precedent that um, I wanted to mention that's a lot more recent is I'd recommend people look into um, the fall of the Soviet Empire of the Soviet M- the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact because I think that actually might in some ways be more relevant and useful um in terms of how to bring down an oppressive empire in a in a more modern time period and you know when I look at the situation today I'm not so sure that going out and um shooting redcoats so to speak is actually a valid strategy like i don't think that's likely to produce good results so i I, I'm with I, you. I said that earlier i don't mean literally do that i mean kind of metaphorically right um <laughs> disclaimer disclaimer exactly, exactly. Like, coats, guys. Th- there might be a moral case to be made for it in certain situations but strategically it's probably counterproductive 99.9 percent of the time um but if you look at how a lot of that was done not just in the soviet union itself but in places like poland uh east germany czechoslovakia and so forth um, and look at the way the different resistance groups in all those different places organized and operated almost entirely nonviolently and were able to bring down uh, the other superpower empire of the 20th century. And um, for anybody interested, a couple good books. One is uh, Down with Big Brother. And another one, I think the author on that is Michael Dobbs. Another one is Revolution 1989. I don't remember the author's name on that one. Um, but I'm, I'm actually working on doing a, a multi-part dangerous history series on the fall of the Soviet Union because I think it's something that's under, underappreciated yeah. as far as especially, just how big a deal it was. Yeah. And especially in Agora circles. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you look at what brought the Soviet Union down, I mean, it was things like uh, pi- yeah, pirate radio, smuggled blue jeans. Go watch a, a documentary film called Chuck Norris versus Communism. That's agorism right there. That is a great movie. It's <laughs> about it tonight. What is yeah, it? Chuck yeah, Norris. Chuck, I'm Chuck, notes. Chuck, with a title like that. Yeah. Chuck Norris versus Communism. It's a documentary about um these guys who were black market entrepreneurs in communist Romania in like the 80s which was one of the worst places in the late cold war one of the most oppressive regimes that was Ceausescu who eventually gets you know guy? whacked by his own people and these guys they were making bootleg copies of cheesy american action movies like Chuck Norris and all that kind of stuff you know um, and they or whatever yeah and all like they were breaking all kinds of laws and they were smuggling <laughs> this stuff into Romania dubbing off bootleg copies by just piggybacking VCRs to each other. And then we're like dubbing it badly in Romanian. So people in Romania could actually understand it. And they ended up making a crap ton of money bringing down the regime or at least helping to. And like they had a whole bunch of people, you know, in the government who were on the take, so to speak. And, you know, we're, we're looking the other way and, and, and getting a few bribes here and there to let, let things come in and whatever. And it's, it's, it's a great documentary, but it's just, um, you know, so many versions of that were happening behind the Iron Curtain of people smuggling in all kinds of stuff from outside. 
and in creating, you know, black market um, publications and, and, and music and all this sort of stuff. And, and that really helped bring down uh, communism in, in a lot of ways, way more than whatever the hell Uncle Sam was doing as far as containment policies and whatever at that time. That's the same as people just living their life during all the COVID stuff. You don't have to go storm the state house building, for example. You just got to go do Thanksgiving with your family and host an event at your farm, you know? Yeah, somebody in, in communist Romania watching a movie that Americans would consider cheesy action movie trash, right? A, a B movie at best. But in communist Romania, that was a revolutionary act. And to those people living in that horrible regime, those cheesy American action movies and all that, they were a breath of freedom. Like they really, yeah. those people felt like, wow, look at that. You know, there's this world with all this freedom and all this color and all this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just think in general, the story of the fall of the Iron Curtain is, I think for some very specific reasons, undercovered in, in kind of American coverage of important historical events. Carl Hess um, used to actually work with the mafia. A lot of people don't know Carl Hess was a very black marketeer agorist. He used to work with the mob to disrupt the flow of money from America going into the Eastern Bloc. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that, you know, the more hardcore agorists are going to engage in. I think it's really interesting what CJ was talking about there because it was in two different worlds. It was like these big mainstream type visible things that brought down the Iron Curtain or imperial, British imperialism. Like if you look at like the, the movement Gandhi did with Walking to the Sea, or if you moved into something that's equally large, maybe maybe even more organized from a conventional standpoint that that affected the the Iron Curtain would have been like the Solidarity Movement in Poland. Right. These, these shoes. And then at the same time, you have all of these little tiny pockets of, you know, they're making Chuck Norris movies or whatever. Like it, it wasn't one or the other. And like going back to when CJ was bringing up um, the Declaration and the Continental Congress and all, it was also not the case that those young people and old people alike that were part of the militias in New England could have created the revolution against the fatherland, I guess, the, 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 you know, the king themselves. And it wasn't the case that the Continental Congress could have done it themselves. So you had the kind of this organized, here we are up front thing. And then you had all these little groups running around in these bars and stuff going, Hey, when they come to take our powder, we're going to shoot their ass. And like those two things work together. And th that's actually very similar, even though it's totally different time, different place, you know, Gandhi and, uh, I can't think of the guy that started solidarity. They weren't shooting at anybody, but, It was still that same kind of giant thing and then these micro pockets working together. And that seems very event-like, right? Like very community-oriented that we can have these big giant ones and these small ones and these mid-sized ones all work together. Yeah. It is interesting how with the shutdowns, it's harder to have that kind of interaction because of it's course. harder to go They somewhere. Don't want us to. And then all these changes are happening. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. But how do you really shut down like if – Well, we all live somewhere we can get away with it anyway. But yeah. let's say that let's say that Sal had stayed in New Jersey. Sal moved. Right. Sal moved. So we, we now have a good example no good examples of this. But let's let's just pretend Sal stayed in New Jersey, like he said he was going to, and he lied. Uh but he, he stayed in Jersey <laughs> and he decides, hey, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna have like a meetup at my house. Like or his apartment or wherever he lived, right? Like 
How do you actually shut that down? I, I think it's very. Well, they're going door to door in like Australia. I saw something yeah, where they're in New Zealand or Australia yeah. on Christmas. They're going to be going door to door. That's that's hardcore. You know, one way. I, I also think that's like that's probably true and horrible. But I also think like, okay, you're going to go to door to door in like this neighborhood in Sydney or some shit. Like Australia's a big place, country, man. Right? I don't yeah. think they're going to get away with that in in America no. yet. Even even in Jersey, I don't think they can get away with that. They're going to go door to door like government <laughs> projects and shit because they can. Right. Arms around that. Like, like, I just look at like one subdivision in, in Texas, right? Like in Dallas, Fort Worth, where you like, you, you get a little bit of elevation change and you can look and you can see the number of houses. And then I think about a local PD and they're going to go door to door. Yeah. Definitely okay. not for guns. Okay. Right. Like when they went after the Boston right. bomber that way, like what did that really take? That took like state, local and federal, like, Coordinating off this one spot and going in this one spot. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, sure. Tarrant County Sheriff's going to go freaking door to door. Good. Yeah. yeah good not luck. worth it. Oh, I think narc the- lines hooked up, though, in California. You narc on your name. Oh, the narc lines. Oh, yes. yeah. Slave on slave riches. And Kate Brown encouraging everyone in Oregon. What, what state was it in where I think the, the governor or somebody put up a thing like, hey, Send text messages here to narc on your neighbors for violating COVID rules, and basically they got flooded with dick pics. Yeah, <laughs> that was Brown in Oregon. The beginning, at least yeah. one. Nice. One that. that happened. Like, that's that's how you deal with like, it. Here you go. So I if uh, social if folks, distance this. Right. If folks, uh, follow me on social media or my podcast. I've been banging on the Great Reset, which is the World Economic Forum's marketing plan for New World Order 2.0. And this has been in the works for quite some time, this authoritarian global government. But now the technology is available. And part of the Great Reset is this fourth industrial revolution, which is like surveillance capitalism and panopticon style tracking using biometric blockchain, digital identity and all sorts of stuff. And just in the context of where the World Economic Forum and other powerful entities want things to go, They want to take it out of the real world with human connections, handshakes, business meetings, in-person office buildings, right? And take it into a virtual world like what we're doing here on Zoom for work, for meetings. They want to have fewer people travel to on the business meeting, right? This is the play that they're having, school as well. This is all – the COVID thing is perfect, which is why I think there's a chance that it's all totally a made-it-happen contrived thing. If not, it's still being leveraged. And I just want to bring that up because in the context of where powerful forces are driving things and they're really successful at it and they're advancing it fast, the importance of meeting in person, handshakes, even secret conversations, which are increasingly difficult to do online, I think it can't be underscored how how important this is. So we talked about the different types of meetings and stuff and just having folks over for dinner at your place is a revolutionary act in some ways. Mm But it's critical, and we need more people to do that. And I know there's a lot of folks that are listening. It doesn't take much to host a meetup or to have a potluck dinner at your house. And if you don't do that normally, you'll quickly see that it's a pretty impactful thing to get this type of people, like-minded people, together in the same room. Yeah, speaking yeah. of which, what are you all doing for Thanksgiving? Well, I shared earlier, going to my family's house in the back of You're going to be wearing your mask, John. Yeah. No. <laughs> Mask and moms. 
Mask I'll pee be that behind my dad's greenhouse. I already got it all planned out. Uh, <laughs> we are actually doing Thanksgiving on Friday, but it's not so we can hide from the man or anything. It's because we have kind of a split family thing. And we've always been willing to kind of like, you know, not going to fight over who goes where. So we just do Thanksgiving a day later. Usually we're having everybody over. So Thanksgiving, I'm going to watch football and I am going to consume alcohol and I'm going to cook my turkeys, two turkeys. And I'm going to do that the day before so that I'm not that person on Thanksgiving, you know, when everybody's there, like, you know, taking the temperature of the turkey, it's still too low, whatever. Like it'll all be done. Like the hard part will all be done. And uh, I'm going to enjoy myself. Is there a restriction, Jack, in Texas? How many people you can have over? No, we don't have that. Uh, I almost wish we did just so I could make sure I defined <laughs> it. Because whatever that number was, I would, more. Like, I'd go downtown. <laughs> I would have flown down there person, for that. Right? <laughs> I would go get a homeless person. I would fly Nicole in or something. Like There is no way that if they gave me a number, I wouldn't go over just on pure spite. Like, and, and I think you should. I think like if you're somewhere where they gave you a number, like you should literally find at least one more person. And then like after it's over, then you post your picture of like, you know, Newsom here. That's what you get. Yeah. Like type thing. Like, yeah, we, we, there has to be a point where we say enough is enough and no fucking more. And like You're that there. point was like six months ago. So like, if you haven't gotten there yet, let this be the line, man. Cause if you don't draw the yeah. line somewhere, they're going to draw the line right through the middle of your face, man. That's Shit, my doing. line was back in George Bush's no child left behind that. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, they're making record number agorists by creating so many That's damn right. regulations. That's the thing. Our People ranks are, are swelling. That's a good point. If you, on, on Thanksgiving, millions, tens of hundreds of millions of Americans are all going to be agorists. And, and it's going to be a beautiful thing if you think That's about it. That's a good it. meme. Sal, We're all agorists doing? now. <laughs> I've got family here. I'm in Florida. I've only got, I think it's six or seven people. But, uh, you know, again, I wish we were in violation of some stupid law, but we're not. Yeah. P&B on YouTube, by the way, you need to get out of Portland. Okay. CJ, anything? Are, are you worried about headcount? Here's here's the thing with me. I always hated giant Thanksgiving gatherings of extended family that I'm not interested in talking to. I'm actually happy. I'm actually happy that because of extended family who are much more COVID phobic than I am, I'm not telling them they can't come. They're voluntarily saying we're staying away. And I'm like, don't throw me in the briar patch. DJ's so, having the introvert's dream for Thanksgiving. It's, it's nuclear family plus very few. Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, I, part of me wants to bring 30 people in just to, but then again, in Florida, it doesn't matter. So I wouldn't even really be sticking it to the man. So I can just have what I want, a very small Thanksgiving. It's the best ever. We'll find some other laws to violate on Thanksgiving. CJ. Right, yeah. That sure. sounds good. Pretty <laughs> print a gun or something, like you know, <laughs> while you eat a turkey leg. That that would be like most American Thanksgiving. Nice. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <There's> like, <laughs> no, I, I answered earlier. I'm going to my parents with parents, my that's brother. That's right. It's the pee in the corner thing. Family. We yeah, will have yeah. more than ten people, and in Austin, you're supposed to avoid gatherings of more than ten people. So that's I'll be Texas, sure Jack. Let them all know there. It's the cities that are the problem, right? We did a whole episode on the cities. The cities are where they're going to roll out the smart cities and all this tech and 5G tracking your RFID chip or whatever. So just get the hell out of the cities. It's never been more important. It's That's huge. 
Yeah, we've got eight unless our, our buddy Jeffrey Deer shows up, but I always do this and I'm actually sticking to it this year where I just do the, the turkey and yeah. the gravy and the dressing. And if you show up, you bring a side dish and it scales. Usually I have 20 people. So is there a limit people in Tennessee? aren't coming this year, huh? Is there a limit in Tennessee? How many people you can have? No, no. So what's our buddy Patrick going to do? I think he's over the number just by his own family. What's that? <laughs> I, yeah, Patrick, Patrick is, it is what it is. Like he taught when they had, the grocery stores were putting limits on how much you could buy. Like they had to go to the store every single day to get their limit to feed the family. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Because he has like ten kids. Right. He he literally has ten kids now. Number ten was born this year, and and you know his wife would she was posting on social that she was getting stink eye for what she's buying. You know, and she's like, but I gotta feed. All these kids, that's, I need that much beef for a reason. And, and that, that, that was part of the issue. Yeah, it was that whole, you're hoarding. You mean she's not leaving enough for these elite liberals to hoard that they don't need? I mean, what's wrong with her? Come on. Uh, yeah. That's selfish. Yeah. So you mentioned right. social there, Nicole. Do we want to, like, because I know, John, you said you wanted to hit that. And we're pretty close to the end here. Do we want to hit that a little bit before we go? Yeah, sure, sure. Let's, uh, well, let's just start by asking you because, um, I've been impressed as I've gotten to know you more with the, there's the sheer size and the connectivity of, of the network that you've managed to build in the community. So what are some of the key factors that you think go into building a strong community? We already covered a lot of in-person stuff, but the, just the sheer online community. Like I, I joined the MeWe group. There's over yeah. 4,000 people on the MeWe group, which yeah. is, that's a big number for a Facebook group. Yeah. So what is that? Are you just pounding on it or is it just because you already have such a big following or you got to cultivate that over time? I think the big thing is being bonded by a common ideal. So I think I could have bigger numbers with less effectiveness. I'm a dick, right? I say things that piss people off all the time, but I refuse to be inauthentic. And I would say if you are going to organize anything, organize it as yourself, because sooner or later, if you don't let your true self out, your true self will come out. And then everybody's like, well, he's a dick. Where like when I'm a dick, you're like, well, yeah, he's a dick. Like we knew he was a dick, right? Like, uh, so like be your, your true self. I think the one of the big things though, like MeWe is like an alternative social media platform right now. So is Parlor. And as I've been moving my people over, I get different objections as to why people want to stay with the digital heroine that is Facebook or Twitter. And one that I find really interesting, and I think this is exactly why we need to move whenever we need to move, is, well, well what's going to prevent Parler from doing this? What, 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 what's going to happen when they do this? What's going to prevent MeWe from doing this? And, and, you know, start censoring people and controlling the conversation and giving your information to the government, giving your information to corporations. And my response to that has been the fact that they're building their platforms on people who have already said, I will move. And what I, I'd really like to get through to people is with social media, we should be platform agnostic. We should be a social swarm. Somebody should probably get that domain before I my domain addiction. Buy it right now. Social swarm. Like what? Whatever. Josh, can works, you buy that right now? Go ahead. For go Jack. buy that right now. Right. Give it like, to Jack. <laughs> um, who? Wherever is doing the best job for what we want to do right now. That's where we should go. 
and we build our stuff there. And that way, and if you build, but you have to build it tight. Like you were asking me about John, like you have to build it. So it's not like, Oh, I follow Jack because he posted a picture of a dog biting somebody on the ass. And I thought it was cool. You need to build followers that follow you because like they believe in what you're, what you're doing. And then you have to like, I think the biggest thing you have to do with platforms when you build a group or something, once it gets going, get the F out of the way and let those people coalesce around it and let them give it direction, like let go some. Because what I see is all the big brands in all the big social media personalities, they want to control their shit 100%. They want it to be all about them. Like this, the, the, the TSP MeWe group you asked about, John, like it's built off of my work, but it's not about me. It's about everybody that's in it. But you do end up being kind of a de facto leader. So when you're like, hey, MeWe is screwing us, let's go over to John Bush's you know, social media platform du jour. Then, then you can actually take all the active people with you, and what's left behind might even be a bigger number, but it's all the people that don't do anything. Yeah, and quality so like, over quantity. I think we need this kind of social swarm mentality. Yeah, sure, Parler might screw us, MeWe might screw us. So what? It's a it's a social media platform. It's, it doesn't it's cost anything to do. It's not like when you yeah. leave, you know, when you leave, it's not like you're scaling the Berlin Wall in 1984 and people are shooting at you. Like you just literally like fill out a form, open a new account and go, I'm over here now. We need, if we're going to do anything with social media as agorists, anarchists, libertarians, we need to have that mindset. I've said this about jobs. Like when I used to get threatened, to, uh, you know, like we need you to do this. I'm not doing that. Well, do you want to keep your job? I was looking for a job when I found this one. That's actually a risk. I actually have to pay my bills. Like leaving Facebook doesn't, it doesn't hurt that bad guys. So like with social media, go wherever it works now, because if you're actually building something, if you're actually building it, you should be able to move it. And I think a lot of people that have built what they think are big groups, they haven't built big groups. They, they have this kind of like just, they've done it all with frequency of promotion. And then there's people in there, but they don't really have loyalty. If you actually have loyalty, you should be able to move your people. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to give a perspective on that, too, because Jack's podcast is much bigger than mine, right? I get, like, 2,000 downloads an episode, and I moved to MeWe a year and a half ago. And in order to make that transition, I I, I had a podcast getting pissed off at Facebook, because that's what happens. We all get pissed <laughs> off at Facebook. You got to go somewhere. And then I committed to twice a week from 7.30 to 8 in the morning doing a live chat with my people on MeWe. And so people came there because they love me. And what happened over time is, as is people popped out from the network who have kept that conversation going. And I don't do the live chat anymore. I pop in and say hi and whatnot. But because of that, the move from Facebook to MeWe is less painful. As somebody who used to get business off Facebook, I, I noticed a year ago that you know, my coffee business business like leads from Facebook. Oh, whoa. bad, <laughs> right? Like, n- not you gotta great. Pay. You got to pay to play on Facebook. Yeah, I'm getting more from yeah. MeWe now, but it was because I invested time. So the other thing about moving to the to alternative platforms is that you need to put the time in. And if you haven't started putting the time in, you better well freaking do it now because Facebook's going to start turning you off. I was just talking to a longtime contact of mine who I work on websites with who works in conservative political circles. And in the last two weeks, several of his biggest clients who make a lot of progress through email listservs got just legs taken out from MailChimp 
Mailchimp's shutting mm. people off. Like, yeah. oh, and then you don't have access to your contacts. Yeah. Oh yeah, you always got to download and export. Yeah, that. you always got to export it. But you know, so we we don't have something as easy to use as Mailchimp to recommend as an alternative, but we will. In Active campaign is what I use. It's really use? good for automations too. Active campaign. Active campaign. That's why any of my clients he's like, listening. He's doing I this whole research thing. Emails. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's Active campaign. Okay, so. so We'll check that out. But, you know, like that's happening on all the platforms. It's happening on YouTube. It's happening on Facebook. It's happening yeah. on Twitter. You got to be ready. And Otherwise, you, you, you have play nothing. The you got to play the momentum too, right? Because like those platforms are so big, they pretty much have everybody they're going to have. Yeah. And now they have bleeding. So yeah. you want to go where the bleeding is. Even if you want to stay on Facebook or whatever, Twitter, you need to go where the bleeding is because the bleeding is the momentum. Yeah. So that's where the momentum is now. And, and Nicole put up something really good. And I, I talked about this years ago when people were like, I can't make any money on Facebook. And people thought Facebook was stupid. I have an old video on my personal uh, YouTube channel. You can look up Jack Spierko is the username for it. Um, but it's on priming the social media pump. And I was talking about back then how, like, if you want Facebook groups to work, you have to actually bring some of your people into them to get them off the ground. When you move to a new social platform for doing your organizing or promoting your brand or whatever it is, it's hard when you have a group or like my Facebook page has a hundred thousand followers. It's really freaking hard to open up a new thing and followers zero. That's hard. It's like, ah, I have to do this again. Yes, you do. But you have that old asset and I would say capitalize on it like Nicole and John are saying because They're devaluing your asset. Look at it that way. Like your Facebook groups, your Facebook page, your Facebook personality, your Instagram, your Twitter. If you're in our world, that's an asset and they're devaluing it. So all I'm doing on Facebook right now, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but like these drive-by postings that are like completely insulting Mark Zuckerberg beams. And get off of Facebook, jackass. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I saw people share that. That's even better. People share that and got banned, but you didn't seem to get banned for sharing People it. People are getting banned sharing my memes, and I'm not getting banned. I feel like uh, the Boris guy in the Bond movie. I am invincible. Like they, I don't know. You, <laughs> you must be a plant. Don't worry. I think I'm, I'm actually, shadow banned now because the number of exposures is like dropping. Jack's right. a fed. That's what it is. He's a yeah, fed. Yeah, I knew it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm. It's funny. I'm in like the the, the, the I'm sort of in the. I'm in the process of going through all of this that we're that we're talking about. So I run a one of the pages I run is called Print Guns Not Money. It has about like fifteen thousand followers or something. But I shared a COVID meme about like how everybody's like super obedient, like the Nazis, and it like featured Hitler speaking and giving a Nazi salute and stuff like that. So they they banned me. They restricted my page, and now they're talking about unpublishing me. And I'm faced with the the possibility of having to go create this group from scratch that I've built up to like 15,000 followers, which I, I worked my ass off to get to get to that number, you know. So it, it's a daunting task for sure. Join us on MeWe, Sal. Are you on MeWe? I am. I am. Yeah. I yeah. just got started though. I'm not really that. I'm just getting active on me like, like within the last month. Literally, the thing that worked for me was that live chat. Yeah. Take do that. Do chat. that. Like you get to talk to Sal at this time once a week. Oh yeah. Because yeah, you can have a chat at the group level on MeWe, which is really, yeah. really cool. So you can say like, we're doing a chat in the you know, Print Guns MeWe group next or every Monday for the next two months, and then just yeah. keep yeah. posting that to your Facebook and it's like start funneling those people the hell out of there. 
before they shut you down. Like when I finally blew my top was they threatened to sh- shut down my TSP group and my TSP page. Yeah, that's what I meant. Members, but I also had like a hundred thousand followers and it's like, okay, no, I'm done. Like you're not going to threat they, they, this, when you get your job threatened. If you're smart, you like do whatever you got to do to keep your job without like totally kowtowing and you put your resume on the street. Like that's yeah. how this has to be with social media. Like, and again, I can't guarantee that MeWe will never do this to us or that Parlor never will, but they're not now. They're not yeah. now or Gab or whatever. Use whatever you want, but like use something. I shared like, my Kratom Bray Botanicals link and they didn't take it down. So that's better than I could say on the other channels. And Pinterest won't either. On MeWe and Parlor. They took you down on Facebook for that? Oh my God. My list of, uh, of Kratom. I've got seven day ban, seven day ban, seven day ban, 30 day ban, 30 day ban. Now they're banging me on stuff from 2017 and 2018, old Kratom stuff. Thankfully they're not banning me, I think. They must have like a rule where it has to be somewhat recent. I got my ads account taken down too. My Facebook ads. They finally added, they usually just point to the drugs, saying it's illegal drugs. And they finally clarified saying that in other jurisdictions it's illegal. So they want to have continuity. So I at least appreciated that they actually made sense of it because every time I like I, I deny it and stuff. But all right. Well, does anybody have any other comments on on social or in person? Sal, you're about to say something. No, no, no. We're all good. Cool. I think we should do a whole episode on social media and bash on the mainstream ones and really just highlight the alternatives. We might even be able to let someone sh- uh, share their screen and kind of give us a little tour of MeWe and stuff. So we've got a lot of topics to cover. Yeah, we got a lot to go. Cool. Well, this has been episode 19 of the Unloose the Goose podcast. We hammered on events, different types of events, conferences. We got caught up on the experience of Jack Spierko's event, talked about meetups, workshops, dabbled a little bit in the history of how important events and meeting in person has been. And uh, CJ had some great insights about the fall of the Soviet Union, which didn't take any direct head-on confrontation. It was just people doing agorism, essentially. And so uh, I just want to reiterate, like, it's easy to build a community online. There's, It's re- easy to access like-minded people online. But I think really where the magic happens, where the change happens, where the inspiration happens, and where that building that solid bond where, you know, a lot of the folks that I know just as Facebook friends – I may not go defend them if the man comes knocking on their door, but the people that I build real world relationships with and handshakes and stories of struggle and stories of happiness and joy, that really builds a a, a real life bond that we all need if we're going to get through all this stuff. So I'm going to throw out those little closing thoughts. Thank you everyone for, for joining us to the gaggle, to the listeners and the viewers. Check us out at unloosethegoose.com. Join. We're, we're linked up on all the MeWe and stuff, right, Nicole? Do we have an Unloose the Goose group on MeWe? Absolutely. Okay, I'm behind the times then. I need to join that. All right, it's on the website, unloosethegoose.com? Yep. yep. All right, cool. Join us there. Community I'll be connections because Jack was fucking with me. All right. Cool. Cool. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Unloose the Goose. Take no use. Your paradigms run out of time, and we've got no use.